unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Hey there, VJ. How are you today? Hey, good, good. Very snowy day in New York City. Um, you know, we kind of had to navigate quite a difficult terrain here. Yeah, slushy, yeah. slushy, but the melt is on. The melt is on. But instead of uh, ice ice and uh, snow, we're, we're going to be uh, maybe breathing a little fire today. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Our guest is Mystique the... Mystic the Blue Dragoon. Um, he is a, uh, they are a uh, meditation guide who specializes in dream interpretation, Jungian psychology, tarot, and breath work. Um, Mystic uh, creates the transformation, transma- transformative spaces, workshops, events, and guided meditations. Welcome, Mystic. Hi, hi, how are you? Hi, hi. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I kind of cut off for a second there, but. Sweet. Uh, I'm kind of je- jealous, y'all in New York. Like uh, I was like thinking New York is dead, but then now I'm seeing all the snowball fights, and I was like, oh man, this looks super fun. <laughs> Did not get my sled on, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Where where are you uh, dispatching from? Uh, right now I'm in uh, Tennessee. I'm visiting the fam. Ah, nice. So I've been here for the uh, for the winter months, and don't don't let that uh, snow day like skip out on you. It's like that's uh that's a, a numinous experience. Like uh, when the snow brings the city to a standstill, like new connections can be made. There's a different way to be. You know, I know some of it could suck, but you know, go enjoy it. Visit Washington Square Park or something. Yeah, nice. Love it's that so way easy. It. It's so easy to fall into the commuter mentality and, you know, so easy to be like, oh, it's destroying my commute, you know, kind of a thing instead <laughs> of looking at the larger picture. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But uh, we want to start the conversation off a little bit with about your moniker. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of how that evolved and, and what that communicates to you and what you hope uh, the people who encounter you will kind of be um, imparted upon with this, with this name that you've given yourself. Yeah. Well, um, I think I've always had like an affinity with dragons and it was like a childhood name. And then in like 2018, I was uh, going around Williamsburg very drunk, like blackout drunk with a friend. And then we fell asleep in his car with a box of pizza because none of us could drive because we were like blackout drunk. <laughs> and I like, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I know my true name. And then yeah. since then, Rock and Mystic the Blue Dragoon had like a wild 24 hours after that and just kept going. Nice. So this affinity with dragon, well, tell me, tell me some of your early dragon, dragon influences. I mean, I know of the last dragon and Puff the Magic, um, but... Okay, so I think from early on is just like how like I conceptualize an old painting mm-hmm. as a dragon and it was like that was like preschool and then from there is like Final Fantasy games like which you know Japan for video games and anime very very much uh, studied a lot of psychology and also you know very connected to their spirituality and kept a lot of archetypical materials alive and do I know why it clicked? No. I just know it did. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I was doing a little reading the difference between a dragoon and a dragon. I don't know if you were able to kind of uh, illuminate the, the, the key distinction between those. I, I know, you know, or do you feel prefer to use those interchangeably? Uh, I, I think I'm more of an interchangeable person, but I would say dragoon is like a person and a dragon. So I got to realize my own, like, you know, like I'm a person, I have my own personal human limitations, but I also kind of, 
aspire to transcend myself, and that form is a dragon. Ah, nice. Nice, nice. And uh, also, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of your, your the different influences philosophically that uh, you bring into the space. I know you're kind of someone who is looking for that individuation, that uh, like finding your individual voice, but um, but you have kind of accepted influences from different loca- different um, you know philosophical traditions. So why don't we explore a little bit of where you get your influences from? Yeah. Well, I mean, from. So also in uh, 2018, I, I kind of didn't know where I was really going, which is like usual. And I found myself in a Barnes and Nobles uh, reading Four Archetypes by Carl Jung. Mm. And then from there, I found like a, a, a lecture on the Red Book by this guy named Jorge he was doing. And then he told me about the Christine Mann Library and the Carl Jung Center in Midtown. And then I showed up there. I showed up on Sunday when it was closed. I was like, okay, I know where this place is. And then I showed up the next day it was open. And then I went there every single day for two months and read until they were like start hosting events. And then so Young, or the works around Young and that library specifically, because the, the Christine Mann Library is like probably best library I've ever been to. For, for me, it's like anything that it does with like researching and learning the soul from from Carl Jung to different like uh, analytical psychology to myth to fairy tales to different religious traditions and shamanisms is books all of it and like you know a 3D space around you so you could you could literally go in there and be like okay what do I want to explore today and go find your topic and just start on a train of thought jump to another book go to a train of thought there and I'd say that would be like probably one of the greatest uh, another one is is anime uh, definitely a big fan of anime and of course uh, I come up uh, I'm a black person, so I come up from that tradition. So there's a few historical figures uh, that have been fighting the good fight there. So yeah, mm. nice. And then this kind of the, the synthesizing of this information was it was it coming out as as writing for you? Uh, you were taking it in uh, through through dreams. How were you taking what you were learning through uh, through this? And 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 what was what way was it kind of uh, content coming out for you? Well, I say for for um, the first event I did at the Carl Jung Center was practical unconscious exploration, and that was finding the different theories and seeing how they could be applied and how like um, experiencing is a is a way of validity. Maybe not to external facts to a certain extent, but there's a, a realness to an experience. And so, by running myself through that and running other people through that. It's like okay, this is this has this effect to a certain uh, to a certain bit. So it's by like making actual meditations, uh, hosting events, making actual practical material. And so one way of that is uh, last year I was running two events, uh, Mystic Mondays and uh, Art Healing Circle. And then I started like each each event I would kind of based off a number. So I started with one, and that was like a birth, dawn, and freshness. And then two. I was like, okay, I'm going to get people to split their genders to give themselves, imagine themselves as having two genders and then uh, paint and draw that out on a t-shirt. And then we're going to do a cat like catwalk like fashion show. So they express it out. And so this time, like I'm doing my uh, dragon channel dream show. I'm like two, instead of going two versions of the self or like splitting the self into two, I'm like, okay, this is how 
you relate to the other two as in one person and two so the like going out and like making making events and making meditations are how i creating and the creating is is like the popping out of the synthesis like i i read a lot do a lot of audiobooks and experience a lot and dream a lot and record my dreams and that's how i take it in yeah yeah speaking of dreams like dreams dreams so uh, dream work and dreams are is a very like uh, accessible area for like some people to like enter into this thing because it's something that they can kind of enter an entry point for many people into in psychology and, and into um, exploring their own unconscious. So um, why don't we also talk a little bit more about dream work? And I started actually for my class. I'm doing the master's in mental health counseling. And for my class, I have to record some dreams and um, do a journaling on, on it. So thinking about kind of like I explored um, Jungian approaches to dreams, Jungian understanding of dreams, we can kind of touch in on that as well as your own interpretation of that. How you how you feel like um, you can take from varying approaches to dream analysis and kind of bring it into your own practice? Yeah. Okay. What is the what, what do you think you what what do you feel that or think that you've learned from that class or something great that you've learned or experienced or you've taken from that class so far? Yeah. So far, I read I watched some videos on um, Jungian analysis and like kind of the approaches of um, associations. Like you know, it's like a lot of times people. I think the mistake people make is. They think, like, for example, if they dream of jellyfish in their dreams, that the jellyfish has some kind of um, objective, um, you know, definition. And while that may inform the dream, uh, I think more than likely it's associations. What do you associate with? There might be a memory you associate of going to an aquarium with your father or something mm-hmm. like that. And therefore, it has, a, it has an associative property to it as well that I think is, like, underappreciated in society. You know, people don't appreciate it. They think, like, oh, that's what, the, you know, they say, like, when people share their dream, they'll be like, this is what that means objectively as opposed to what do you associate yeah. with it, you know? Yeah. And I think since my, my dream, my dream work comes from uh, Jungian analysis. And mm. like there's a book Robert Johnson has on inner work. And so it's it's kind of similar to what you say. It's it's more looking for, like you you pull it, like one thing, the first thing you do is you, you get some, you get someone or I get someone to list every like you break the dream into a dream image or like the different parts and then you find a part like say if they take a chair they're like oh this chair was in my dream and you're like okay just list every word you can think of for chair and then you start there to find to start to find where the energy is that is coming into that chair image in their dream mm-hmm. rather than just be like oh chair means this so, i mean there's some you know there's people who I think it was like Marie Marie von Franz. She, she interpreted like sixty five thousand dreams or something. So after mm. that, you probably see some patterns. But it is better to go from the earnest or subjective. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my that's how I feel. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think definitely like you know, um, it depends on the person how they interpret how they how they experience that image and what what memories. A lot of times, it's unconscious is communicating contextually. So when you have the dream is also important, like what you're thinking about in your waking life, um, you know, what concerns you have and how is it addressing or communicating within that contextual understanding, I think is important, right? Yes. Uh, It's also not, a a dream is also not very concrete. Like you write it down, Mm. Uh, you record it to concretize it so you can understand it, but that dream can have many different meanings, both on the personal level and the collective level. And then if you sit with a dream or if you come back to a dream, you might understand it in different lights or, or more lights even later. 
Any suggestions on how to either induce more dreaming or a way of recording the dreams um, upon upon waking? I know, you know, I've tried like recording as soon as I wake up as opposed to, to writing sometimes, but, um, you know, with some consistency, any, any type of insight into either of those? What I've noticed for myself is with recording, you start to dream more, remember your dream more. So there is a, a pushing on yourself. Like there's many times where I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that, of course, like, uh, smoking less weed works for some people or not smoking weed. Uh-huh. Um, not being, or like sometimes you have to like if you have your partner with you and then it's like you're you're happy so you don't you don't want to like you can't it's harder to pull yourself to the conscious state to write a dream and also maybe it's not writing or recording drawing a picture mm-hmm. or even just writing a word you don't have to write the whole dream just write something and that's and just what you can do as long as you're moving toward it it'll start to uh, respect you more some people do mugwort tea and that's a, another way. Yeah. And also I find nicotine, by the way, nicotine patches have quite a <laughs> dream inducing. You know, oh, yeah. dream inducing. I don't know. Like when oh, I, that's crazy. That, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. When you, you know, it, like, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, when people, uh, when some shamans, you give ayahuasca, they give rapi, uh, beforehand, which is like a tobacco product. Mm. And it probably has like a, you know, people smoke nicotine. It has some kind of stimulation, on the brain so that that kind of makes sense yeah when i was trying to quit smoking when i put the nicotine packer and sleeping that very vivid vivid dreams you know yeah go ahead no no i think i think that that's what i could say yeah about that specific and then also like when you wake up kind of staying still so that then you don't disrupt that it's like hiring a jug of water on your head you know it's like very like uh you know it's like you move too much it's like the whole dream just spills out in my head. It just goes yeah. away. Yeah. Just, yeah. As soon as you wake up, record re- record the bit of a dream. And I notice what I do. Well, I, I notice I've been dreaming more when I'm in. When I I I'm, a, I'm not like away. I'm more I'm visiting fam. I'm more in a like a chill, slow down space. And outside of New York, where I'm not rushing around doing things. And so I will like usually I'm sleep all night instantly I'm gone now I wake up in the middle and when I have a dream I'm up for I'm up for a bit which is is not always the most pleasing but I've been having like multiple dreams every night for like the last like two months so it's been very great for recording mm-hmm. this car is passing so another um, yeah so but being in a being in a place where you're not where you're you're I guess your your attention is not so needed so you have an abundance of that psychic energy you know like go live on a mountain or some shit <laughs> right. yeah holy mountain, holy mountain yeah. now, now have you been leading these um meditation circles uh virtually uh currently uh or or have there been some in, in person and, and could you speak a little on how maybe that's 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 different the kind of being able to connect with people um in a virtual environment versus being in the room with them uh, when, uh, the, the pandemic first started, I went virtually and then I was like, no. And I went back to doing it in person <laughs> because I didn't want to do it. And so it was hard to like, and you, people were just not excited about being on zoom and already stressed in general. So eventually I'll go back and like, you know, the internet's 
a very integral part of the world. So now I'm doing videos, uh, do, doing online seminars. Are are I'm gonna have to do them, but I do prefer to do it in person. And so I was doing uh, different events. There was a Caffeine Underground, which is probably the most Bushwick cafe in uh, Brooklyn. It's also where the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society is. They oh have yeah, open, like, I, I comedy and music. Mm-hmm. They have just different creation jams, just like the owner, uh, Ian, he's a DJ. And so he's he just fostered this very uh, creative, very weird space. So it was just, that was a good place to do it. And I was also doing at this uh, owner, Mark West. He had a gallery in Bushwick also and in the Bronx, and I was doing it there. And now he's in Brazil working on an artist retreat, so I'll probably do some there. Right now, no events, which is because which I've been running events. I've been running, I was running two live events during COVID. So now it's like, I, I, it became harder to run events in New York as everything just constantly kept shutting down. True. And uh, I remember in the, the interview questionnaire, you talk about failures that can be blessings, which you never know there's up and down, but it is kind of nice to just being able to focus on my craft, to be able to like go back into dreams or make videos and entirely worry about like running events are a lot of work especially marketing but it, it will pull me back so my ultimate my ultimate dream is to eventually have my own space it's my uh dragon den dream it's a whole to the future a place where people can create commune cause a little bit of a ruckus a safe place for fairies but not too safe yeah yeah and also um i want to talk a little bit about how you know where where, where you're coming from like archetypically so uh, we were talking a little bit about um, the various kinds of typologies that uh, Jungian psychology and, you know, in general psychology, we talk about um, the Myers-Briggs uh, typology, um, MBTI, as well as, um, you know, various other kinds of modalities. So why don't we talk a little bit about that and how you understand, like how you bring that into the table and like how that can be understood, you know, because a lot of times I think there's a lot of feeling of, um uh, you know, like, oh, th- this is who I am, and we can kind of become, you know, s- grasp onto a specific identity. But what role does that play in identity, and and how can we kind of hold it loosely? Maybe I don't know. Well, I would say for Myers Briggs, I am an ENTP, um, extroverted, intuitive thinking, perceiving, uh, uh, intuitive ball of chaos, um, which is where mine is, is extroverted uh, intuition which is kind of like uh, finding an idea and then exploring, going from that idea to many other ideas, like taking one universe and creating a multiverse from it, uh, other than um, introverted intuition, which is finding many disparate ideas and then combining them into one. So I'm more like that that, uh, explosive energy. And that's kind of where that fuels my passion for uh, lots of lived... um, dreamlike experiences and my my passion that leads me to learning you know like learning all this archetypical stuff mm. and as far like internally very chaotic and I, I, I like I enjoy going through chaotic situations as far as like the role of mystic the blue dragoon it is uh, the extroverted feeling which is a cognitive function that ENTPs have and I can create a harmony and like uh, a peaceful situation. And so that's what people generally find uh, valuable from me. And I use that to create like a, a good space where people can feel comfortable and open up. 
Yeah, I love and then the, I make it chaotic again. I love the yeah. Arthur C. Clarke quote. Um, he said something like, uh, I don't believe in astrology. I'm a Sagittarius and we're skeptical, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> kind of like acknowledging the, acknowledging the import of these kinds of typologies, but at the same time, not clinging on to them too carefully, not clinging on to them like, this is who I'll always be and this is who I am and this will always be, but understanding oneself and one's biorhythms from, you know, these kinds of, uh, energetic signatures, if you will, luminous body and energetic signatures. I think that's how I interpret it. Like, kind of like when we think about astrology, we think about typologies, we think about the energy flowing through the world and the kind of archetypal signatures of our patterns rather than, you know, this is who I am, this will always be, you know, kind of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what about union typology and how it differs from MBTI? What, you mean a different typology or no, what, what Jungian psychology? About? Like how, how? In what ways does Jungian psychology kind of have some different? Well, off the MBTI for you? like Myers Briggs was a mother daughter team, and they so for Carl Jung came up with uh, we wrote the, the volume six is um, psychological types, and one chapter in volume six is detailing the rest of the psychological types. The whole book is based on the I guess a process of inter- individuation. I'm still going through it, and if you know what the difference between nominalism and rationalism is, uh, please tell me. But um, from those eight cognitive functions, the mother-daughter team, they came up with uh, 16 types because in the typology, they're like, okay, there's a primary function and there's an auxiliary function, and just the way that math works out, there could be like 16 types, and they, and they rolled with that. Oh, nice. And nice, so it's yeah. just really like an option. It's really like, you know, how one idea inspires another. It's like a, just a pr- progression. It's a progression on it and a, a sy- systemizing of it. And then I guess when it gets too, too either static, like you said, and too simplified, it, it becomes harder to come back to the truth. And so, like, now you'll see, like, a lot of mistypes of everyone in the world is an INFJ or INTJ. Mm. Uh, but, these, you know, these are, for me, it's a, it's a guidepost to, like, understanding people. But the, the one thing about people, humans, they're living things. They're not e- easily uh, identifiable to, like, a static idea. It's like life will, life will find a way to squeeze past any of your definitions. Mm. Is that what you want to hear? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, you mentioned uh, slightly a different topic. That you're a bit of a news junkie, and uh, I'm curious um, if that's you know national politics or or world news, um, and if you see kind of you know a big difference between those two. Um, you know, just tackling kind of the stories that that are today. Are you are you looking are you looking at the news through through a lens of of personality or, or through, or through politics or a combination? I don't know. I've been, I mean, I was just always like, like every day I read multiple news things and that goes to childhood. So that's before anything into politics. Uh, Maybe it's related to my love of history. Also like a big uh, history junkie. Armies and generals is a great YouTube channel that I'm watching right now. Sometimes you think about um, like uh, astrological significance of events. Do you look at it through that lens at all or, well, the astrological significance. So I think uh, when people talk about the astrological uh, significance, and uh, Young would point this out also, a few other people in the hippie community, it's like we're moving out of the age of uh, Pisces, mm. uh, which is the age of 
like good and evil being split and evil is a shadow to a good. It's like the, the, the two fishes and one, one fish, you focus on one fish. And then it's going to be to the age of Aquarius, which is many fishes. It's like the one, it's like following the one image, which could be like Christ. And then there's going to be the projected uh, Satan, like that, that, that gets power, whatever people project onto Satan, even though the Satan's in themselves. And at some point, that's going to come to a head and maybe people learn to accept that. But maybe a, a point of globalism or, or people being able to, re, to get information on a global scale as like censorship or maybe like some global channels break down and then it's going to, they're going to have to go back to more uh, local he- heroes or local ideas. Maybe the universal idea will not fit their certain situation, but people have to, uh, there's going to be many stars and people live their own, People become, live their own creative myth. People become their own legends, and the legends for themselves and their community, and go on. Yeah. So that that that's what I mean. That's what I kind of see on the astrological level. But other that, I don't. Uh, I I just kind of see. I, I read both uh, New York, different cities, uh, national and international news. Uh, you, you see how even on the international news, like on the local news, there's many. You can watch many YouTube videos of people saying the same exact thing. So because the news comes from the same the same source and people are literally just paid to repeat it because like we do live in a centralized uh global an increasing centralized global uh power structure Mm. and you see that in the international news too so like even reading some international news like al jazeera or something like oh this is the same story i would read on on uh the wall street journal something like that uh on the new york news i was happy to see the snow I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you see many voices. That, that, that's one thing I'm kind of disappointed in. And it, it would be nice to see more different voices in the news. As far as politics go, I don't think there's any like ray of, of hope that people, much people are seeing. If you, if you go talk to the person that's working in your local grocery store or something, they're at their, their, their end, their, their, they're at their limit. If you go to someone that's like, uh, in school right now, they they can't feel that they don't feel that the system that they in are providing a way for them. So they're at their limit. The teachers are at their limit. So it's like, in that way, people are moving, will have to move or are moving from conscious to like unconscious reactions from good or bad. Kind of like when the protests bubbled up, it wasn't something like people were like, oh, I'm going to do this. This is a this is an organizational strategy. It was like, uh, oh, this is a wound so deep that, you know, fuck it. And then so that I, I see some more of that as things start to continue to break down. And it's like, where will, like, where this, like, how large will that circle of order, which would be hyper surveillance, uh, hyper controlled be? Like, how large will that circle be compared to, like, whatever will be like a wasteland? And who knows? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about historical trends, historical kind of the ways in which you respond to news, the ways you respond to the events, and the ways in which society kind of um, articulates its movement, historical movements. Um, you know, and also one thing that kind of caught my eye when we were discussing the pre-interview questions was, um, you know, even though we seem to, uh, you know, we seem to be, you seem to be politically uh, opposed to the ideas of Ayn Rand, um, you know, you were kind of intrigued by Alice Shrugged, which is something I also share, even though 
I'm kind of very much like opposed to the ideas of Atlas Shrugged. I read that in college and was like, oh, this is kind of has something has something to offer, despite the fact that it was very frustrating to me reading it. It was like, oh, you know, I don't think she's counting all the complexities of or nuances of um, yes. historical analysis. She's kind of very, you know, blatantly giving a very, very, very basic or, you know, kind of taking very basic points and then kind of amplifying them. But tell me what your reading of it is and how you, um, what you gained from it or what you think about that in the context of what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, okay. As far as like, uh, okay, so. In, in Atlas Shrugged, the, we'll call them the libertarians. Mm. So that's uh, the libertarians, the successful libertarians, you know, the, the billionaires. They are like, they feel they are the value of the current order. And mm. they're like, this current order is taking too much from us. And we, it's not our duty to keep the system up. So they take away their their wealth, their, their influence and watch it, watch it start to like somewhat crumble. Mm. And at the end of the book, <laughs> the trains in the trains in New York stop. Yeah. Uh, so how I would see that is as the, the, the business, a certain class doesn't need like all, all, all the people we're, we're not all, we're not all needed for, for for like a higher class to to exist, right? It's like so superfluous labor. Um, at one point in America, like you know, like black people, uh, when we started to get more rights, started to be superfluous labor, and then the you know mass incarceration comes from that. It's like okay, we, let's let's hide them away, and then use them as, for labor uh, under the table. Now that we have this new cheap flow of labor uh, coming from across the border. So I I see that as you know as things as automatic you know automatic driving and different different automation processes are, are there. It's like less less people are needed to run certain industries, and so we we have to deal with we will have to deal with that. Like okay, so the system the system doesn't have to be set up. To, to feed or house or give a decent life to all these people, and what is the aftermath of that? Mm. I think like and so. Another book that I would say that yeah. brings that a point to that is um, Parable of the Sower, or Parable uh, Parable of the Ta- Talent, two books by uh, Octavia Butler, which uh, she wrote in the nineties, like nineteen ninety, and take place end of twenty twenties, beginning of twenty thirties. And kind of have like very similar. It's a sci-fi book with kind of very similar political and economic situations that we kind of see ourselves in now. Mm. I think also one thing to remember is that like when we think about superfluous labor, it's like you know what we're investing in that in those people and the labor is what we're getting back. You know, so I think that when we kind of devalue um, certain kinds of labor, we're not really reaping the kind of rewards that we could be getting if we invested in the labor, on the ground labor, if we invested our, our resource instead of just giving it all to the top. You know, if we invested the resource of a company into the ground labor, we'd have a much better experience at businesses and, you know, businesses would profit more and the, and the profit would be evenly or, like, better divided among the, among the workers. You know, I think that there's a devaluing of, like, thinking or viewing the view that 
the cashiers just anybody could be doing that job is what makes you know this kind of experience we have um you know uh and it kind of it kind of just creates the whole system as, as it is now you know i don't know i mean we we would we would benefit from that yeah but jeff bezos is doing great yeah. and then jeff bezos has the ability to protect his wealth yeah so then it's like what we say doesn't matter but i don't want to throw everything on jeff bezos because like part of it is like we are we are someone else's jeff bezos right mm. like we're getting our shit from somewhere in the Congo or yeah. China or something, Bangladesh or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's a very nuanced uh, world and, and we have to try to, you know, kind of figure out, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think these are very nuanced issues, but something we can just contemplate and think about and see how it goes. But um, mm-hmm. so what else is coming up for you as far as like, um, uh, I want to also pull up some of your, I think you have a YouTube channel. We have some meditations. Yeah. Perhaps we can pull up some of those, or if you'd like to, or yeah, maybe you could, uh, you know, take us through what a typical session would would um, would entail. And I don't know if we could kind of go through it either live on on radio, or you well, could kind of take us through a little bit about what what occurs. Well, the last video I did was on death, so it's a bunch of uh, meditations on death. But I'll, I'll do a quick one on anxiety. It's like a, it's just like a small one. It's like ten. We're gonna do ten slow breaths. You know, calm, calm the self, and then I'm going to say A, B, C, and then once I say C, we're going to yell potato. I'm not going to yell directly into the phone. We're going to yell potato. Nice. And then, okay, so let's just go. So breathe in. Breathe out. One. Breathe in. Breathe out. Two. Breathe in. Breathe out. And in. And out. Four. And in. And out. Five. And in. And out. And in and out. Seven, breathe in, breathe out. Eight, and in and out. Nine, big breath in. Breathe out. Then after I say C, we yell potato. A, B, C. Potato! potato. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And it, it, it's something I found helps with uh, people with anxiety, but it's, it's usually you have to do it with your anxious friend. It's like they're not going to do that themselves, but it's a quick <laughs> change in the, the state of being. Kind of, you know, brings it brings it back. It brings it out, really. Brings your your inner, you know, allow to push your inner self out. Yeah, good, good. This is our mindless. This is the Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. We're here with co-host Scott Raven and uh, special guest Mystic uh, the Blue Dragoon. Um, we're talking a little bit about uh, analysis and union psychology, as well as uh, various kinds of forms of ways of approaching um, 
you know, uh, meditation, meditative contemplative traditions. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, uh, you know, you have the, you have the, um, you know, kind of the, the website as well. We can plug, um, where you have, uh, what is it called again? Uh, dragon, sky, star dragon, sky.com, star dragon, sky.com. Yeah. People can find more about you on that site. Um, yeah, what else? And then, uh, yeah, and then, um, just like meditation guys, some of the services being, uh, tarot as well is something that we could talk a little bit about, like how that plays into, um, plays into your practice. So, uh, dreams, uh, I, I can do dreams from other people, but, you know, on the fly, it, it's like a 10, 20 minute minimum process. So it's hard. And people like, as far as the esoteric practices that reach the most people are astrology and tarot. So in the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, uh, I was doing, well, I wanted to do dream interpretation, right? And then I found out to do my art, I have to create my own community and my own event so I can do it. And then when doing it, uh, I had someone come in, apply to be a tarot reader, Mandana. And then, so she, with her, did an event where we had two people that knew tarot taught um, two more people to do tarot, and then they taught other people to do tarot. So, like, by the, the end of the night, everyone there had at least some experience doing tarot. And from there, I started doing tarot. And then I found out that it's very, you know, that's what people want and, and do. And so I'd be at Washington Square Park at a different event. I would go do tarot for people. And so it's very, for me, it's kind of like, that's my my way of doing therapy. It's like the 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 focal point of doing therapy for people. It's what people really uh, enjoy, uh, have their own ideas about, and you can do it in many different situations, like a park or bar or like a house. So it's what I enjoy, and I you know I have my tarot cards in my pocket uh, right now. The tarot cards I have, the deck that I use, and my favorite deck, which uh, Ian from Caffeine Underground. Uh, he got me was um the wild unknown and it's just very it's a popular deck and it's just very beautiful and, and kind of somewhat dark so that's why i call it my like therapy deck because it allows me to get into the psyche and the images are there very they're very projectable upon so you can look you can look at it and then like those those creative ideas will easily pop up yeah so you don't use writer weight then use a, another artist right Hmm? You're saying you use another artist than the standard? Yeah, I, use, yeah, yeah. I, I don't use the... Uh, which, by the way, they didn't really pay much the person who actually did the drawing. It was kind uh, of meh. But, um, yeah, so I, I use... Just like the Wild Unknown, if you look it up, it's just the uh, art's so... It's so stark and stands out to you. It, it's both, like, beautiful and dark. At the, like, it, it, it has some very, like, cute, like, dove-like pictures... And then you'll see like the birds of a, the bones of a bird. So it, it allows me to go the um, it allows me to go the distance of, of human experience. Mm. Yes, I enjoy that. Deck. What do you think about oracle decks? And and tell us a little bit about tell for those those people that may not so, be aware. Uh, tarot is a set thing which come, will come from from alchemy. Yeah, and uh, ooh, it's like the it's like the. 10 planets in the 12 houses or vice versa, something between mm-hmm. the planets and the houses, which I found out recently. And then, uh, like 10 cards for each of the four suits. It's like 
you know, each of the elements is like a, a mandala. Um, and Oracle decks are just, they're less form. And so I, I do enjoy those. So when I started Tower, I actually started with, with an Oracle deck. Um, and they're just with, without that, they're just without the main form. So they have a different form. So it's just more free flowing and more feeling or intuitive. So I, I, I really like a, a good Oracle deck. I, I very, very, very much enjoy a lot. Have you messed with the uh, tarot too much? Yeah, I've done a little tarot reading uh, just for myself and and for um, kind of studying a little bit for others, but not as so intensely. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I've I got into it through uh, the work of Alejandro Hodorowski uh, and uh, some of the special features on his DVDs and and where he do live tarot readings. He still goes kind of around the around the country doing those. Um, I remember in college, yeah, I had uh, somebody read read one for me that was eye opening. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've I found oftentimes, you know, the assumptions that that the reader would make will be based on tech, you know, what what I was wearing or what, um, yeah, making certain assumptions without really getting to know who I was first in um, okay in certain experiences. But but open open minded to to where it can go. Um, you mentioned that you you did a recent thing on on death, um, which I'm definitely interested in, in as a concept of. I studied grief for for a while. I, I did a podcast for a while, the Good Grief Podcast, and, and the different stages of grief. Uh, I was wondering just what what kind of came out of out of uh, out of that most recent one that you were you were talking about. I think the three quotes, two of them, I came with, and one from it's like. Uh, that that's from history. It's uh, everyone is not everyone is born, but everybody dies, mm-hmm. and death is like the universal experience yeah. of life. And so it's it's definitely not desired, but it's like it's it's very connecting because everyone experiences it. it's cathartic in, in that way. And another one was uh, memento mori remember that you will die. It's, think of Greek or Latin phrase, and that kind of, that was, that's kind of the, the idea for it, is like bringing attention, bringing the attention and putting the attention on death and see how that can uh, positively affect or sparks one life. And the other one is remember life is for the living, which goes back to that, is like being able to, um, March on with life. It's like you, you, honoring, honoring, honoring the dead and honoring those that came before us and synthesizing those experiences. But it's it's up to us to carry on and get to get to where we want or where we feel drawn to go. One thing that also comes to mind is about ritual um, and how we can kind of a lot of times you know, we can get in our head philosophically and think about things intellectually, but really kind of bringing it down to a place of action and bringing it down to a place of embodiment. Um, how can we kind of, you know, ground a lot of this philosophical or, or heady intellectual stuff into, you know, practice. And we were talking a little bit about dream. Dream, of course, is something that's an embodied practice of, you know, practical things. Meditation is embodied practice. But thinking about ritual in general more broadly, um, what are your thoughts on, like, kind of, you know, we, we mentioned a bunch of them, but, you know, just generally speaking, like how um, – how we can kind of your thoughts on ritual and how 
and how like uh, different institutions have kind of made rituals and how we can have secularized or if you want to if you believe in secularization of ritual or if you believe in religious uh, ritual. Well, I mean, like, so the validity for like a a, a logical thought is like a, a fact to a certain extent, or like a uh, or a, a fact or a deduction. Uh, but like validity for the body is a lived experience, mm, and so yeah. if you move toward it, like in the video, it's one of you. You know, someone pours out liquor. And that's like okay, you're you're giving you're giving an actual sacrifice before they, you know, they print like gold with the body. It's like okay, this is this is to show that this is like the you know, or like slaughter a lamb or something, or a person over in the volcano. That's the, but not like the worst. It's like the best. It's like this shows that we mean business. It's showing your soul, yourself, or the collective that we mean business, and that's kind of like a part of a ritual. Another part of it is Young would talk about the mass, like the Catholic mass. And that is a way of allowing people to experience the numinous without being too overwhelmed by the unconscious. And he talked about some people are better at delving in the world, the unconscious. And I, I don't know how much I agree with like, uh, organized religion, like restricting people's ability to connect to themselves, but the ritual helps formalize it so people can more um, safely go through that journey, even though it may be less powerful for people, or the ritual just more easily becomes a static idea, and then another ritual will eventually, you know, have to be found or created. Yeah, that kind of touches on the quote-unquote dangers of the spiritual path and how sometimes there can be uncovering of deep traumas or, or deep um, psychic um, you know, stuff within the psyche that we think is not restricted just to us, but also the collective psyche. We talk a little bit about the collective unconscious and, and how there's collective trauma as well as personal trauma and how you know, kind of sometimes going, on, going down this path can sometimes lead us into areas that, you know, we have to be safe doing it and kind of, you know, like, as you were saying in, in the last comment, you know, kind of making sure that we're doing it in a way that um, kind of allows us to connect with our deep selves without creating this, this sense of unsafeness. You know, we could, we could be yeah, safe, but safe I'm not, like, 100% for that. Like, I, I believe in both. I mean, I believe yeah. in, uh, you know, people can go to both and an individual can go to both at different times. Like, sometimes mm. a direct experience, sometimes a ritualistic experience. Because mm. I don't want to be locked. Like, I mean, there's a fear of being locked into uh, only a ritualized experience where your energy has to go into who to whoever's empowered. Like, okay, your energy has to go to us. So, like, yeah. I, I do believe both oh, yeah. the direct and the uh, and the ritual and the collective ritualistic. You know, people have their own individual rituals that they they um they have they have with themselves. Mm. Uh, would you be able to maybe share on some of those? Like, what what will you do for for your own mental health practices in addition to maybe, you know, your leading meditation um, sessions. Now, will will you do, will, will you get a benefit from that, from the leading of it, or will you find that you're engaging with some things separately for your own, for your own well-being? Well, when I, when I first started uh, running Mystic Mondays, I would find myself by the end of it very kind of like angry and right. like dead. Um, 
And then I realized that two, make sure I got my money. Oh, sorry. One, make sure I got my money. And, and two, make sure I was also going through the experience. Cause really it's like, right. I'm creating the things that I, I would want to a certain extent, or I, I could benefit from, I would like to see like the kind of events and the kind of like experiences. So make sure that I'm going through it. So it has been like, you know, like weekly, like doing a bunch of events or even creating these, these video series have been weekly healing and transforming for me to help me become uh, a more a better, a more complete or more just grounded or just slightly more sane or insane person. So I would say the really, really, yeah, I mean, doing that, the breathing, straight up breathing, just central, you do so many times, either that or I'll go look up uh, a Wim Hof breathing. Like there's like a 15 minute or if you're like, you can't hold your breath that long. There's like a, for beginners, 11 minute. Honestly, like I, I would have a downloaded version of that on my phone and it's like, it'd be like a little nap, just like, hmm. boom, just like where, where you, you don't want to just totally be knocked out. You just do that. It can help you like, it'll help me slow down ground, go into my uh, situation for a while. I would do, um, acid about once a week. And that would be like an experience or like dancing. So dancing or once a week, it's like once a week, let out the, the, the wild side of myself so that I can be more like go just be out of my mind so that I can just keep myself together and not like transgress too, too crazily. So I would be like that. That was probably more of the, the ritual, the things I try to do, like, uh, do like record my dreams or, uh, like now I got into, which will probably be in a later episode of the, the dragon channel dream show is uh swishing coconut oil. Huh. Good for the teeth. Like what? Mm. So I was like, I was in this, uh, this hippie commune in upstate New York and I saw them doing it. And then when I came down to visit my family, like they were doing it, I was like, what? And then, so I started doing it. So to do 10 to 20 minutes and it's, I don't really like, I'm trying to figure out how to really work that in my schedule. Like sometimes in the shower, sometimes when I'm watching something mm -hmm. before going to bed or something like that. And, but Hey, it helps, it helps like the bleeding and the gum, gum stop. And it, it, I found it does like my, my mouth does feel better. So I found the benefit in that. So that's not really a ritual though. That's like a, a I guess hygiene could be yeah, a, ritual. a ritual for the body, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, those. Nice. Thank you for that. Um, I, I, um, other thing I was thinking of. Oh yeah. Do you have any, um, thing to say on on I guess color? Uh, you are the the blue mystic, the and blue I was wondering how yeah. how you came, you know, to be on on the, the color blue, and maybe how color might might impact uh, any of the things we're talking about, whether it's dreams or, or otherwise. Uh, so definitely subjective, right? Everyone has like blue is probably the most popular color. And mm -hmm. so everyone can have their own opinion on blue. Right. Blue is also a very, uh, broad color as far as like, it could be calming like a pond or like a clear blue sky, or it could be totally overwhelming like the ocean or like destroy you like a lightning bolt. Um, I would say my blue, my blue side is very, is very, is the more like the, the role or the more chill, the more relaxed, like side and somewhat more orderly side. And then the contrast to that is the pink, the more wild side. And there's more colors in that, but that's as far as I go uh, for myself. What colors are you, uh, do you identify with? There's a question yeah, yep. yeah, for both of you too. Well, I'm probably purple, uh, 
purple strong for me. I mean, I got a, a, a royal Leo connection with that, yeah. but also, uh, you know, well, then you have, you know, Prince too, kind of that kind of ties into more of my wild side. And then, yeah, a turquoise, kind of, I guess, a shade of blue too, uh, a little more uh, flowy, go with the flow, sensitive aspect of me. Mm, yeah. are, are they more sorry go ahead are they more like opposed or complementary colors and then how do you connect how, how do you like actively connect to your purple side and your sure. side? yeah I, i'd say i've been a kind of split of my like kind of stage side and off stage side you know been a performance poet for uh for years and the purple side being kind of the more outward, you know, on stage, attention-seeking, um, sharing of, of things, um, and then the the blue side being kind of a little bit more internal. Um, but they they harken back to actually my bar mitzvah colors back when I was thirteen: purple uh, and turquoise. I think black and silver as well uh, tied okay. them all all together. Cool. Yeah. How about you, V? Yeah, I think. Um you know, purple has been something over the years that connected with me as well. Huh. Perhaps also the Leo connection. Um, you know, and then uh, earth. T- as far as dressing goes, when I d- go around, I like to dress in earth tones. So, like, you know, browns or or beige or these kinds of things. Like, I like like to dress in earth tones rather than like just to present myself in that way. But um, but I also like blue as well. I think there's a lot of times as men, you know, males growing up, boys, you know, that will will be kind of encouraged to to like blue, I think, I don't know. But, uh, so that's kind of something that I think that many, uh, male identifying people will kind of experience growing up. Um, you know, kind of like encouraged or pushed towards blue. I don't know if that's your experience, but here's something I learned from like a ENFJ. If you're going to wear those, like those, uh, brown colors, those like blending colors, wear at least one thing with a splash of like heavy color, It'll, yeah. you know, make it look more cool. Yeah, nice, nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's always good to like um, consider like how the 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 image, how the colors are getting impact impactful, and and we think about style, personal style, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have the last few minutes. Um, any la- final thoughts you want to leave the, the listeners with? The last few thoughts. Hmm, what did I write in my final letter? Uh, I think my art. Um, Please check out the Dragon Channel Dream Show. Uh, may, not maybe everyone will find something they enjoy, but some people will definitely. If you're into the mystical path or fairy tales or psychedelics or psychology, like you'll probably find something that can help you go a step further in that way. If you want any kind of tower reading, dream interpretation, uh, have some kind of therapeutic talk, uh, my email's on my website. Uh, hit me up. We'll find some kind of pricing that works for people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank that, you. That's thank it. You. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be yourself. That's plenty. I love it. Don't don't forget to be awesome. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I can end with. Uh, I can play some of your uh, Kong's quotes on dreams you're reading in the and it's part of the channel, so we can end okay, with yeah, listening yeah. to that. And then, um, any final thoughts, Scott? No, thank you, uh, uh, Blue Mystic. You you go by full full Blue Mystic Dragoon, correct? Uh, Mystic the Blue Dragoon. Sorry. But that's more for me to say. Everyone could just call me Mystic. Mystic yeah. for short. Uh, I love it. Yeah, this this has been great. I hope people do check out the channel and actually, uh, yeah, take you up on those 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 tower readings. 
um, and and some of the other uh, you know things that you that you offer uh, in Tennessee. I, I I know that place, uh, Caffeine Underground. I've been through a few times. I haven't been there since pre-pandemic too. But um, yeah, be cool to catch up once you're in New York once again. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. So this has been an uh, episode of the Truth to Power Show. You can find our uh, almost 200-plus uh, episodes on radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power um, and catch up with uh, binge listen to a lot of our episodes. Um, so I'll be playing uh, from uh, the YouTube channel where uh, Mystic will be reading some quotes from calling on Dreams. It's only two minutes, so it's a good amount of time for us to end on. Thank you. The dream is an autonomous and meaningful product of psychic activity. If we cannot fulfill a wish in reality, we will realize it at least in fantasy. A possible hidden meaning in dreams is obtained by comparing the dream fantasies with other fantasies of the waking state. The repressed painful thought can therefore only express itself symbolically. All those aspects occur to the dreamer that during the day were insufficiently appreciated or totally ignored. The symbol in a dream has more the value of a parable. It does not conceal, it teaches. There is an equally great danger that anyone who is constantly preoccupied with dream analysis will overestimate the significance of the unconscious for real life. Everyone who analyzes the dreams of others should constantly bear in mind that there is no simple and generally known theory of psychic phenomena. Thank you. This has been Carl Jung Quotes on Dreams, read by Mystic, the Blue Dragoon. The dream is an autonomous.